1: Hello, fire up the klaxons and tape over the windows. It's another of our famed by-election emergency casts. I'm Andrew Harrison. Today, it's misery for the Conservatives, again, in Wellingborough and Kingswood, with Labour overturning big majorities in both constituencies. New Labour MPs Jen Kitchen for Wellingborough and Damien Egan in Kingswood may have very short terms in office if there's a May election, but after this drubbing, Sir so might be minded to put it all off until autumn and hope that something turns up. Here to make sense for it all for us. A swing on to aloft is our by-elections commentator and correspondent Ross Taylor. Hello, Roz.
2: Hello, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you.
1: So two by-elections in one day, caused by very different reasons. Wellingborough because Peter Bone, show favourite and headmaster from the Another Brick in the Wall video, left the seat in disgrace after a sex scandal. And Kingswood because Chris Skidmore quit over Sunak's policy on oil and gas. These swings are big numbers. Bone had a majority of 18,000 and Skidmore's was 11,200. How big a deal are these results? John Curtis says that uh, Wellingborough is the second biggest swing in any post-war election.
2: Well, numerically, yeah, they're absolutely a big deal. And so that's why John Curtis is excited. Nonetheless, they're still not really unexpected, given the national polling numbers. And I think the worry earlier this week was that with the brief difficulties Labour was having over Rochdale and anti-Semitism, and of course, the whole vexed question of the 28 billion green prosperity plan that is no longer 28 billion, there was a feeling that people might turn a little bit against the Labour Party. But that has not happened, which I think shows two things. One, that the state of the country is such that people are not bothered by what they see as relatively minor issues and uh, rows within Labour. And the other is that most voters do not follow politics quite as closely as uh, people talking on politics podcasts do. And it takes a while for issues like this to really sink in and have an effect. And it was only two or three days. And although the Westminster Village got very, very excited about it, just didn't have an impact on the ground.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, that all seems a bit of a long time ago. And certainly things like Rishi Sunak making his stupid bet with Piers Morgan and, and making crass comments about Brown and Jay just seems to be a very, very different time. Um Polly Toynbee talking about these two by-elections says this is one of those epochal political moments, a deep revolt against the extreme brand of conservatism that brought us austerity, Brexit and finally Liz Truss. Um, she's looking at the wider context of these elections. Do you agree?
2: Yeah, no, I do agree. I mean, uh, those uh, three things, Brexit, austerity and Liz Trust, basically have come together to bring down the Conservatives. I would say that she's making a bit of a category error when she talks even about extreme conservatism. I think what the Conservatives are now bears very little relation to the party that they have been in the past. And I don't think there is such a thing as extreme conservatism, right? You, You can't be extreme and at the same time a conservative. Conservatism is about basically carrying on and making minor tweaks to things, but not see changes in your approach to politics. And that is what the Conservatives have attempted with Brexit and with Liz Truss in the last 10 years and what they have massively failed at.
1: Mm. Um, The swings on both these elections are really impressive, but the turnout was well down. That's often the case in by-elections, isn't it? What, What are you drawing from that?
2: It is quite worrying that it's so far down. Uh, I don't think it surprises many people because people don't necessarily feel they have a reason to vote Labour yet apart from to remove the Conservatives. But it is alarming when the turnout is this low. It suggests that people feel that they can't really change anything by voting. And it's true that they're not going to change anything by voting much in a a by-election. It's a very different matter, of course, in a general election when your vote does count much more. And I would hope the turnout would be bigger. But Labour, although they won't say so, of course, and they're celebrating today, and rightly so, Labour will be worrying that... The absolute number of votes that they have received is still fairly low and they will know that during the general election campaign and whenever it comes, please God, before May, but more likely, unfortunately, this autumn, um, that they will need to somehow enthuse the electorate.
1: Well, to put some flesh on those bones, in Wellingborough, in 2019, Labour got 26.5% with 13,737 votes. This time, 13,800 votes got them 45.9% and this enormous swing. Uh, it was the Conservative vote that collapsed from 32,277 to you know, 7,400, which is a kind of astonishingly catastrophic collapse. This has been the core of the Conservative defence, hasn't it? Or, or rather a wing of the Conservative Party, that uh, Labour are not streaking ahead. Uh, we are the ones who are failing to communicate what we are or even, or, or even be the true version of what we're supposed to be.
2: Well, yeah. And it shows just the level of desperation. There really is nothing else to say about this result than Mm. that the the opposition party didn't manage to get their vote out in large numbers. That's the most they can come up with. It really is a complete collapse. And yes, that is extremely worrying for the Conservative Party.
1: In Kingswood in 2019, Labour got 16,492 and that added up to 33.4%. This time, they actually got fewer votes, 11,176, and that got 44.9% in victory, which even underscores it even more. Um, what role do you think the Conservatives choosing Peter Bone's girlfriend, Ellen Harrison, as uh, as their candidate in Wellingville? What kind of role did, did that play, do you think? Locals <laughs> seemed rather nonplussed.
2: It was just absolutely inexplicable, wasn't it? Mm. I, I can only imagine the the workings of a constituency association that think that the solution to the problem of of of, of choosing a new MP is to go for the ex-MPs, the dis- disgraced ex-MPs, girlfriend. It just displays extraordinary levels of complacency and cronyism, which are unfortunately for the Conservatives exactly what they're showing on a national basis as well. I can only assume that they just couldn't persuade anyone else to yeah. stand.
1: But weren't there there were a lot of reports that um bone was even threatening to stand as an independent uh, if she didn't get the nod mm. which is a a bizarre state of affairs. And, um she was seen leaving the council saying that she'll be standing again at the next general election. Presumably she still qualifies as the as a candidate for that uh, for that seat. It's...
2: I think they knew that they didn't have a chance and perhaps no one with any credibility thought that there was any point in standing in that constituency. We all know, you know, there's some ambitious younger Conservatives who are keen to be picked. People like Sebastian Payne, I'm not sure how many constituencies have rejected him now, but it's quite a few. And they think that they have a genuine chance of holding on to a Tory seat at the next election. Now, it was abundantly clear <laughs> that they had very, very little chance of holding on. and And that must have been what informed them.
1: Yeah. What did you make of uh, another show favorite, David Frost, saying that essentially what this proves is that what people want is is more conservatism, that, uh, you know, that the party hasn't been communicating what it's about effectively enough, hasn't uh, and has been, uh, you know, sort of tacking to this kind of s- supposed Tsunaki and quasi-socialism. It just seems like one of those scenarios where people go, the thing that has happened proved what I thought all along.
2: Well, I refer you to my previous answer about Polly Toynbee. There is nothing that's particularly conservative about the modern Conservative Party. And the more that they try to claim that conservatism is compatible with the increasingly far-right views that many of them are espousing, the more wrong they will be. It is the wrong answer to the question. Uh, That doesn't mean that they won't necessarily tack further to the right. We can talk more about that later. It may well be the only thing that they feel they can possibly do. But it is a massive, massive misreading of the room.
1: But surely if, if the Conservative, if is his anything sort of remotely right about his diagnosis, if the Tory vote has collapsed, then they're actually in a worse spot than they would be simply if, if Starmer was running away with uh, the affections of the country. You can always attack an opponent. You can always kind of chisel away at an opponent and try to discredit an opponent. But when your problem is yourselves, yeah. You're in a deeper hole even than a conventional straightforward battle, aren't you?
2: It's a really, really hard period in British politics because there's simultaneously the feeling that things must change, things now will change, and yet this sense of stasis where we don't seem able to imagine what life might be like after a Conservative government, and even Labour themselves don't really seem able to to conceptualise that in a way that the electorate will believe, Mm. I think. This sense of hiatus is really hard to deal with. It's very hard to know what shape the Conservative Party will be in, in a year's time. We have a better idea of what shape the Labour Party will be in, but we don't yet fully understand what they're going to feel capable of doing, how much they're going to feel capable of spending the reforms that they will be able to push through. And in this state of flux, of hiatus, you get people talking the most awful load of crap. And unfortunately, this includes this includes many Tory politicians just rooting around for an answer to the existential
1: problems that they face. Well, get, to give Frosty his due, he is at least consistent and has been talking crap for as long as he's been on the national stage. While we're on the copium pipe, What did you make of Rhys-Mogg saying that Labour hadn't got more than 50% in Kingswood and that if reform hadn't stood, then the Tories would have won? Well, you know, if, if, if.
2: Reform is a party that Jacob Rhys-Mogg very much hopes can somehow be folded into the Conservative Party. Uh, He would very much like to see some kind of clear alliance between the two, probably um, Nigel Farage in a very senior role. And the whole mission of GB News, which of course Jacob Rees-Mogg is also closely involved with, is to ensure that that happens. It is in Jacob Rees-Mogg's interests, both financial and personal, that he can push the party as far to the right as he possibly can. And reform is another means of doing that. And we're seeing the same thing that happened uh, when UKIP was doing very well. And the Conservatives figure that the answer was to basically make themselves into the into UKIP and then the Brexit party. This is exactly the same thought process that is going through Jacob Rees-Mogg's mind.
1: How did reform do? I mean, they they seem to have uh, it's a good result by their standards, but not quite up to UKIP levels in uh, into the Brexit referendum, for instance.
2: I think actually they did worryingly well, and the reason for that, you know, thirteen percent in one of the constituencies, the reason for that is because they don't really have a clear national platform as to people don't understand what reform necessarily would do. Reform is a very vague word, and. We know the Brexit Party wanted Brexit, they got Brexit, okay, so what now? So there's a general feeling that they uh, would take migration seriously and stop the boats in a way that Rishi Sunak has failed to do. But apart from that, people have very confused ideas about what reform stands for. Economically, it's pretty far to the right, but there's no appetite really among the kind of people who I think who are voting for reform for that kind of thing you know they've they've seen liz truss and they didn't like that the match between reform and people's actual views is 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 not a great one it's purely a protest vote at this point and nonetheless that's 13% protest vote and that's in a by-election where it doesn't really matter very much and it isn't going to make a huge difference so i think it is worrying that they have managed to get up to that point And I wouldn't be surprised if they managed to pile on more votes as they get more national exposure and we approach the election. There's always going to be about 20% of the electorate who are open to a far-right party like this. And they are ripe for the picking.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. So what's uh, going through
1: Rishi Sunak's head this morning? I mean, these defeats were largely expected. It doesn't look like the Conservative Party really put its back into uh, these constituencies at all. His first reaction seems to be, I think he was uh, he was on a visit today and started talking loudly about how tax cuts can absolutely be made in the middle of a recession. Um, what's he going to be thinking after this?
2: I think he's going to be wondering how he can emerge from this situation with any personal dignity intact. I'm pretty sure that he does intend to go off and, you know, do a do a, a very lucrative job in California at the first opportunity. But that doesn't mean that he wants to be the person who left the Tory Party in the state it looks to be in left the Tory party with what looks like a very, very small number of seats after the next election. Couldn't turn it round, really, after the Boris Johnson and Liz Truss disasters. He would like to salvage something. And I can only assume that his thinking at the moment is that he can hang on till late autumn, perhaps, the economic news this week wasn't particularly good. We have formally gone into a recession. On the other hand, inflation is now at least stable and hopefully will will fall more. And he will be hoping that he can save the party that I think he still, he still believes in uh, and which he doesn't want to see folded in into reform as someone like Jacob Rees-Mogg does. We've seen in the last few months Rishi Sunak trying to tack to the right occasionally and trying to make much more far-right far sort of noises. And that's not him he will be very anxious not to be the person who completely tanked the Conservative Party.
1: Has the Conservative Party reached the point where it doesn't matter if there's a strategy or even the illusion of a strategy, and it doesn't matter what the Prime Minister says anymore, yeah. that, like the country has made its decision?
2: Yeah, because there's no trust anymore in the Conservative Party because we were told that austerity would give Britain the boost it needed and the vigour it needed. Then we were told that Brexit was the shock it needed. Um, Then we were told that uh, Liz Truss's agenda of tax cuts and uh, pro business was what would really turn everything around. And they have all failed. There is no trust in the Conservative Party anymore. There is a kind of jaded ennui that you know has gripped the country, which basically says, "Oh, it could be so much better, but we don't have the money, do we?" Mm. Labour's challenge, of course is to try and somehow move beyond that.
1: Well I have heard from more than one place that at sort of this stage of a government you can usually look back and say well they they managed to achieve this or they managed to achieve that and like I'm you know I can remember the end of the Thatcher government and the end of the Major government and Blair and Brown and whatever you thought about them even people who didn't vote for them could point to one or two achievements mm-hmm. apart from the enormously dubious achievement of making Brexit happen I can't think of a single achievement no. I can't think of a single thing they've made better in their fourteen no. years. And that seems to be quite widely accepted in the country. That's now it's just a it's a piece of common sense, isn't it?
2: The country is palpably in a worse place than it was on almost every level. I mean the the stats that came out earlier this week about NHS waiting times, nineteen times more people are waiting more than four hours in A and E than before the pandemic. Nineteen times. It's just extreme. Public services are failing at every level and people do understand that and they don't yet see a way out. They don't yet believe that any other party could get them out of this. That is Labour's challenge to somehow make them believe that they can because it's going to be such a long, slow, difficult process. Nonetheless, as we've seen today, there is just enough belief for Labour to really... (laughs) <laughs> to really win these win these seats with massive swings. There is enough hope left that enough people are voting and saying yes we do we, can, we do believe things can be better. But labor does need more people to start believing.
1: So Rochdale's next on the 29th of February. There will be no Labour candidates uh, after the suspension of Azhar Ali for his uh, anti-Semitic comments. The whole thing is looking like a bit of a bin fire. George Galloway and Simon Danchuk are standing. Um, What are we expecting from this? Could Ali actually win anyway and end up sitting as an independent?
2: Quite possibly. I mean, Rochdale Rochdale is so (laughs) extraordinary this time that it's not a guide to anything on the the national stage, right, because the dynamics there are so different from in the rest of the country. I mean, the nightmare scenario, I think as far as I'm concerned, would be George Galloway uh, taking the seat, which is not impossible. Um, on the other hand, he has embarrassed and humiliated himself uh, and been so wrong on so many things so many times that you would hope that he's lost all credibility. But uh, it's very hard to to uh, understand exactly what's going on in people's minds there. it's. I feel, I feel really sorry for Rochdale. Rochdale deserves so much better. Than to be in this situation, it's got it's got a massive risk roster of candidates. Every single one of them is, is male, as you say. We've got a low labour candidate. We've got Simon Danchuk, who's disgraced after he was you know found to be texting a seventeen year old sex te- text and so on. We've we've got George Galloway in the running as well. Uh, it's not going to be a guide to anything. It's per- I, I think it's possible that the the turnout will be extraordinarily low maybe around, you know, 10, 15 percent, something like that. And that Ali will just about take it. But it's very unlikely. I mean, he's not going to be in the Commons for long. Uh, There's no incentive really to vote for him on that basis. Uh, Labour will will stand someone else much more, uh, more, more credible next time. I wouldn't say that Rochdale is a guide to anything except Rochdale.
1: Yeah. Well, two huge swings, two more Labour MPs that might not be there that long, but at least it's, uh, it's evidence of something. Uxbridge feels like a very long time ago now, doesn't it? When it was like, oh, no, let's panic and junk the entire uh, policy platform.
2: Yes, it does. I think those worries about green spending are still very much there. Mm. And that is fundamentally why Labour was able to backtrack on the £28 billion this week. Those are still very much in the mix and they and reform will be very, very keen to exploit them when Labour come to power, just as the far right, the alternative for Deutschland, has been exploiting that very effectively in Germany. So we need to, I mean, people talk about the just transition and it's kind of, what does that mean? Actually, that just means not making people hate green reforms and hate net zero because they think it's going to cost them too much money. So that will be Labour's, another of Labour's many, many challenges.
1: Ros, thanks for joining me for this emergency cast. Thank you. Listeners, thanks for listening. Remember, it's your support on Patreon that makes all of our podcasts possible. Times are getting a bit tighter out in podcast land, so if you want us to be able to keep making these shows, then please do consider backing Oh God What Now on Patreon. Our supporters have been the backbone of everything we do. You paid for the studio that we're in right now. Uh, You're the reason we can pay our young producers real salaries that are competitive. So you have made it all happen. Unfortunately, we will have to rely on you a bit more in the future, but we've got big plans for the general election whenever it is. Uh, so, if you can find a few bob down the back of the couch to help us, it will be money well spent and much appreciated. Follow the link in the show notes or search Patreon. Oh, God, what now? Thanks for listening. And you know what they say if you can't stand the cheats, get out the Gen Kitchen.